But as we are continuing with our sermon series called Secure, friends, I was thinking about what the church means and we want to first and foremost just celebrate God in this time. Everything in this world says the church shouldn't be growing, but God is building his church. He's faithful. And even in lockdown, we have seen God do incredible things in our, in our church. And we just want to celebrate that God is building his church. And we, we see in, in the church world that God loves us and he makes us secure. But God also launches us and he's, he makes us significant. And that's a need that every single one of us has. So the... The stats that we can give you is that during this lockdown period, in the last three months, we have grown with 40% in our connect groups. That is, friends, this is truly a testimony of God's goodness. Our connect group attendance has gone up with 30%, and our tithes and offerings has also gone up with 30%. So we just want to honor you and, 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 and thank you for being faithful with your time, your treasures, and your talents. Because for you, attending a connect group is as much worship as what it is to give your tithes and offerings. So we want to celebrate what God is doing in our church. And we always want to just, just be very clear on the fact that a, a church is supposed to be pastoral and apostolic. A post, the pastoral aspect of church makes sure that everyone is cared for and the apostolic part of church makes sure that we as a church com complete and pursue the purpose that God's called us to. So we, we thank God for, for what he's doing in our church and through the connect groups. And it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting season for us. Let us just pray before we go into the sermon and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are building your church. Lord, you are faithful to your word. Lord, you are calling your church not just to be a church where people feel safe and cared for, Father, but also a, a place where men and women can be launched into their destiny and into their purpose. Thank you, Father, that, that you are doing this in us and through us, Lord. Thank you for every connect group, Lord. I pray that you will bless the leaders. I pray that you will bless the people that attend these connect groups and that you will help us to truly be disciples and make disciples as a church. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at the church. And in our series called Secure, we are considering the role of the church. And just to give you perspective on the purpose of the church in God's plan for us is if you look at Ephesians 4, it says the purpose of the church is that we will equip the saints for the work of ministry. Friends, our sermons, our connect groups, this series, this secure series is not to give people knowledge, but it is really to equip you to walk with God and to grow as a believer. So that is the purpose for why, why we're doing what we're doing. The, the secure series is exactly the same. It is not to impress you with great deep theological understanding, but it is to equip you to understand God better. And as we go through this sermon, I know that you're going to start understanding more about that. One of the first verses that we're going to look at as we look at spiritual warfare is Matthew 28, verse 17 to 20. And it's very interesting how spiritual warfare is part of this verse where God calls us to be disciples and make disciples. And I just want to read this to you. 
Verse 17 says, And where they, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Friends, it's interesting how the command to be disciples and make disciples has wrapped up in it the concept of authority. When we speak about spiritual warfare, the, the topic at hand is really authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and because of that you go. So even in this verse where you don't expect the concept of spiritual warfare to come up, Jesus says, I'm calling you to be my disciples and to make disciples. But it's also very clear that he is in a place where he understands that we're going to experience opposition. And we need authority to live this life of a disciple, of being disciples and making disciples, as I've said many times already. But it's important that we understand that this place of living in your authority comes from a place where it springs from worship. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. So it's from worship into the works. It is from a relationship with God where we step into the authority that he's called us to walk into. And that is the place from which we exercise this authority. So, let's look at this. We, we learn from this verse that every believer needs authority. It's not just pastors. It's not just kids ministers or campus ministers, people that work for the church full time. God destined every single one of us as believers to bear authority and to handle authority. This is not just for the elect few. Power to the people. All right, that is what the Holy Spirit does, is He gives you authority to do what He's called you to do. What does that mean? It means that our purpose in our relationship with Jesus Christ is going to be a purpose where you're going to experience resistance. And you need authority to overcome that resistance, and we're going to look at that. Jesus also promised us in this scripture that He gives us everything that we need to overcome. He says, not only will you experience resistance, but I'm going to give you authority to overcome. And that will be a sign of our lives being empowered from heaven. It's very interesting. Another verse that you don't expect to see, uh, to see spiritual warfare is when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Now, I was quite surprised when, when I heard this preached, but after considering it, it is very interesting to read Matthew 6 verse 9 and 10. Jesus said to them, pray like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done. Again, you see the, the flow from worship into warfare. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, worship be your name. And then he says, your kingdom come and your will be done. This implies that the, when, when the kingdom of God comes into a certain area, there's another kingdom that has to bow its knee to it. So in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we see this concept of spiritual warfare. Friends, and as disciples, we need to understand it. We need to understand that we are, that we are not just 
believers because we are born in a Christian culture. And whatever will be, will be. You know, life can do with me what it wants. God calls us to have authority and to exercise that authority. But it's very important also in this that we, that we exercise our authority from the right foundation. How does this prayer start? Our. That refers to spiritual family. Jesus, above all individuals or people in this world, could have said, my father. Yet, he knew he was busy working with disciples. And as he's looking to us as a church and church members, he's saying to us, our father. When you approach God, you approach God from a context of spiritual family. I really want to encourage you, if you're struggling with the concept of spiritual family, you need to wrestle with this scripture. And you need to wrestle with this one word. How Jesus started the prayer, our. So, where does spiritual authority come from? Is you need to understand our and you need to understand father. In our, we see spiritual family in the one-to-one chapter 11 that we did a week ago, all right? And then he says, Father, it speaks about a personal, intimate relationship where you cannot just look at someone and say, he's my heavenly father, but he's my father. He's my Lord. Because that's where you find the security in your personal relationship with God. And it is expressed within the spiritual context of spiritual family. What does it mean to live spiritual, powerless lives? I want to read this passage to you. It's, one of, it's actually quite a funny passage in Acts, Acts 19. We see the apostles doing great works through the Holy Spirit that worked through them. We see how the apostles take authority over sickness and people get healed. We see how the apostles take authority over demonic resistance and the, and the demons flee. And then you have a bunch of Jews that sees, man, this is, this is power. And we desire power. And let me read Acts 19 verse 13 because I want you to see what a spiritual powerless life looks like. And no one wants to live that life. Verse 13 in Acts 19. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And listen to what the Spirit said to them. And then the evil spirit answered them. And he said, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them. He overpowered them. And they fled out of that house naked and wounded. It's quite a sad story. And I want to venture out to say that, unfortunately, many Christians live like this. Because they are unsure of their relationship with Jesus. Because the devil is able to get them to doubt their identity and doubt the authority that God has given them. They never have authority over spiritual resistance. So beware, do not do this. If you do not understand your personal relationship with God, if you do not understand the hour and the father, don't even enter into spiritual warfare because the devil will overpower you and he will play with you. 
But friends, the good news of this is that we have the example of the apostles that lived in their authority. Let me, let's move on. I want to read you a few scriptures just to lay the foundations for spiritual warfare. Job 1 verse 6. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. It's interesting where the devil is. It's interesting what the devil is doing. And we're going to learn about his strategy even in our day and age, because he's still doing the same thing. We see in the New Testament, Satan tempting Jesus. We see in the Old Testament, Daniel wrestling in prayer and overcoming because God sent angelic help to him against the prince of Persia. It's not just a movie. It's actually in the, Bi in the Bible. And then again, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 to 5. Where Paul says to us as believers, and he's speaking to us as a church. And you can read this and say, wow, that's a good message to the Corinthian church. Friends, this is to us today. If the Bible is true, it's true in totality. And you will hear from some testimonies that it works. So you can trust God. You can trust what his word says. Listen to what this is saying. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. Paul says that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, you are in a war. And then he gives you the weapons. And he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. The weapons of this world is discipline. The weapons of this world is religion. The weapons of this world is anything that we as human beings have formed and fashioned that says, this can help me. You can even use your bank balance as a weapon. You can use your relationship with your wife as a weapon. But friends, it is earthly and it will only yield earthly results. And Paul is calling us into a place where our spiritual authority is based on something greater than just humanity and what the world can give us. Our authority comes from God. Listen to what Paul says as he goes on. On the contrary, he says, our heavenly weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is clearly stating, if you study this verse, the, the Hebrew meanings of pretensions and arguments and thoughts. If you study on a theological level a little bit into the scripture, you will find that this is a very real war and we are in it as believers. And it should not intimidate you. Because as we were pre preparing for this sermon, we were sitting around the table and Alicia mentioned, and you're going to hear from Alicia later on, that when you are in a spiritual battle, this battle will either drive you away from God or it will drive you to God. So do not be intimidated if you hear that we are in a spiritual war because God destined us to overcome. And the danger of our Western mindset is that we define everything by natural things. The natural defines the spiritual. Or a master strategy of the devil is it doesn't exist. The spiritual war does not exist. We don't have to be in spiritual warfare. Que sera, sera. 
An enemy that does not exist in your mind will not be overcome in your life. Friends, this is so important for us. Then you have the Eastern mindset where the natural follows the spiritual. Everything is spiritual and it's also quite prevalent in Africa. Everything in, spirit, uh, in the spirit defines the natural. Now, what is the, what's the biblical mindset? Let me read this to you. We are spiritual beings living in a natural body, destined to worship God and advance His kingdom whilst you're on earth. That is the biblical mindset. That's a biblical concept and what we will pursue as we study spiritual warfare. Now, firstly, when you go into war, you need to learn what the weapons are that your enemy will be using. Because if you understand his weapons, you'll be able to overcome them. So understand to overcome. In the one-to-one, we see three weapons. As we looked at through chapter 12, we see three weapons that the devil uses. The first one is temptation. The second one is deception. And the third one is accusation. I just want to give you quick definitions and we'll put it on the screen for you quickly. Temptation is when the devil tempts you to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I'm not going to preach on that now, but you can, you can go listen to the, to the devotions. Deception is when the devil takes the truth of God and he adds a little bit to it. He went to Eve and he said, did God really say? And if you listen exactly to what the devil says, he adds a little bit to what God said. All right, so he confused Eve and he deceived her. And then the third one is an accusation. The devil attacks your identity with your past mistakes and your current imperfections. Now, purely that, simply that is, I can end this sermon here and I believe that if you understand those three things, you'll be able to resist the devil much more effectively. But we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. What gives the enemy's weapons power? Friends, there's internal factors and there's external factors. This is something we learned from Pastor Jim LaFoon as he, as he taught us in, in our pastoral training last year. But in the natural, if you are stressed and tired and over busy, then you are more prone and open to temptation. All right, remember the first one is temptation. The Bible talks about Jesus was hungry and what happened when Jesus was hungry? The devil came. All right. Internal factors is what we expose ourselves to. If you are someone who loves horror movies, I can almost guarantee you you're going to struggle with fear. In some way, shape or form, you are continuously show, sowing little seeds of fear in your spirit and you might feel quite, quite um, resistant to it, but it's going to bear fruit. If you neglect sleep and you're constantly tired, you're going to be more open to be tempted. It's internal. Is the devil involved? Yes, he's definitely involved. He tempts you to do it. And you succumb to the temptation. And because of that, it's almost, it's quite easy for people who want to destroy their own lives. And then there's conscience factors. It's also internal. Conscience factors is unconfessed sin and rebellion. Is if you know someone has done something against you and you know before God that you need to forgive him. God has convicted you, you need to forgive that person. And you don't forgive him. That will be an open door 
for the weapons of the enemy to be effective in your life. And he will bring condemnation. And the next step is after, after that condemnation comes confusion. Friends, God, while I'm talking about the weapons of the enemy here, I just want to bring in the understanding here is the devil brings condemnation that causes confusion. God, through his Holy Spirit, will always bring conviction that is very specific. The devil will say to you, your whole life is a mess. And if you, if you respond to the voice and you say, what's a mess? And he's going to say everything. But if you go to God on your knees and you say, God, what must, I, what must I address? And then God will say to you, my son, I need you to address one thing, the specific thing. And as you do that, you find freedom. So we, we spoke about internal factors that gives the enemy's weapons power in your life. Now, what about external factors? If we think about the life of Job, external factors opened his life up to the devil having a field day in his life. It's external. It was circumstances that was against him. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his, his, his belongings. Yet inside, we see that Job, God sustained him and his worship was preserved and he overcame. So Job is a great example of what a life looks like that is effective in spiritual warfare. Friends, and this is quite a disconcerting Example, because Job went through years of discomfort, years of not being, of being terribly sad. Yet at the end of Job, he says these beautiful words. He says, I've heard by the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes have seen the Lord. That is a victorious life. And that is the type of spiritual overcoming lifestyle that God is calling us to live. So circumstances, in this world we will have tribulations, Jesus said. Health, the economy, politics, relational conflict. These are things that you don't have control over. It's external, it's not caused by you, but you are in it. And in Romans we see, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. If you turn to the right source in the spiritual warfare that you are facing. The objective of the devil's, uh, of the devil's, devil's weapons is always to separate you from God and to separate you from, from family. What does is, what is that verse say? What does that verse say? Excuse me, my English is turning to Popeye. But what does that verse say in, in the one-to-one -one chapter? The devil walks around like a roaring lion. What does a lion do? Anyone who knows animals a little bit knows that a lion's strategy is to divide the prey from the pack. So the objective in spiritual warfare from the devil's side is always to divide you and get you alone and get you self-focused and self-absorbed because then he can have his way with you. But friends, this is the choice we have to make. When we hear this devil, when we experience spiritual warfare, do we run to God and to spiritual family or do we run to our own little cave? Men, you know what I mean? And your own conclusion and your own understanding 
Or do you have the guts to pick up the phone and call Luan and say, Luan, I am struggling. I'm experiencing resistance in my life. Will you pray with me? Will you give me understanding and perspective? Let me give you a fresh testimony. Linda and I am trusting for breakthrough in a certain area of our lives. And Tuesday morning, I was walking around my swimming pool praying. That's my prayer route. And I said, God, I need to hear from you today. I need a word from you to settle me, to anchor me today. That evening, about 8 o'clock, 8.30, I got a text message from Toby Krier in, in Pretoria, my good friend. And he says to me, Mike, I have... I have heard a voice, I've heard a word from the Lord for you. This is the third time that I've heard it, and that's why I'm sending it to you. And it settled my heart. So will spiritual warfare drive you into God's presence and into spiritual family? Or will spiritual warfare find its purpose and getting you separate? That the devil can have his way with you. And then the, what, what the devil then will do is he will get you separate and then he will give you this phrase. Whatever will be, will be. Whatever door will have to open, will have to open. Sometimes there's doors that we need to kick down and we need to overcome. Sometimes there's sicknesses that we need to fight against and pray against until it's complete. So the objective of the devil is to separate you. And if he is successful, what will you experience? You will, you will experience a loss of identity, a loss of purpose, and a loss of authority. You will... Uh, you will experience a loss of relationship as well with God and very interestingly with the people that God purposefully surrounds you with. Who causes the resistance? So we looked at the enemy's weapons and what the enemy uses against us. So what is the weapons of our warfare? What does the Bible give us in this spiritual warfare and in the spiritual battle that we are in? The first one is worship. Worship is one of the most powerful weapons against the enemy because when you start worshiping, it connects you to the source of all authority. It is interesting when the Israelites were, when, when God set them free from Egypt, they were traveling and they got to the Red Sea. And we know the story of here's the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming from this side. And the Israelites, in that moment, instead of worshipping, became a bunch of whimperers. They started moaning against Moses. And God did a miracle and he, and he parted the Red Sea. And they walked through the Red Sea and we know the story. And if you read Exodus, you see the greatest worship party of that day was on the wrong side of the Red Sea. Friends, when we worship in our warfare, it connects you to God. Worship is not singing songs. Worship is not doing creative dances that I'm so good at. Worship is a lifestyle of saying, I will continue doing the right thing, even though my emotions is tempting me to do the wrong thing. That is spiritual warfare. And then as you choose to do the right thing, because you want to honor and worship God, it's almost like the link is made between you and God. So what is our weapon? Start worshipping. You start focusing on God's character. 
the more, and I have experienced in my relationship with God that when I'm the most challenged spiritually, I've got a confession sheet on my computer and the confession sheet is labeled God. And there's about 70 scriptures of just who God is. And then I read these scriptures to myself. And I remind myself of who this God is that I'm worshipping. And I can tell you five, six scriptures in and my spiritual state changes. The devil gets scared of you when you worship. Because worship does not make sense to him. We see Paul and Silas in the prison. They are literally in the prison. They are between, figuratively, the Egyptians and the Red Sea. And what do they choose to do in the, on the right side of the Red Sea? Is they worshipped. And what happened? God brought an earthquake. I often ask myself the question, what would have happened if the whole of Israel on the wrong side of the sea, with the Egyptians right here and the Red Sea right here, what would have happened if, if, if Israel started worshipping in that moment? What would God have done? Friends, God calls us in spiritual warfare to overcome in impossible circumstances. I want to read this passage in Ephesians, Ephesians 6. One of the best known scriptures pertaining to spiritual uh, warfare. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. In the Lord and in His power. For me, when I read that verse, it speaks to me about personal intimacy and personal security. And then it speaks about a power that is more than what I need. What will I do with that power? Put on the full armor of God so that you, may, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then the secret weapon. Often we stop reading there. Verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Friends, not only does this scripture give us a, almost a set of principles that will make us safe, but it'll give, it gives us principles that will make us overcoming and significant. Let's look at the armor. I want to highlight a few things. You can study the scripture and I want to encourage you. You can speak to your connect group leader. You can call me anytime. I will, I will discuss this for many hours with anyone who's interested but the armor that God gives us is a shield of faith as we were preparing love what Almiro said and again it's uncle Jim Lafoon that mentioned this is he said that the shield of faith refers to the Roman shields that they used in battle 
The Roman army was rated as the most effective army in that, his, in, in that time of history. They overcame against the, the, the Germanic hordes. If you've seen Gladiator, you've seen it. And they had these shields, and when they locked shields, they call it locked shields. And you had people, the front line, that would lock their shields to the front, and then the people behind them would put the, would put the shields over them that the, that the arrows could not come into, and they called it the tortoise. I don't know if the Romans called it the tortoise, but I think it's a great, it's a great name. But they made a little shield tortoise. And you know when a tortoise head is in, it's in. It's fine. But then you have the shield of faith. And the shield was not just a defensive weapon. It was an offensive weapon. If you Google it and you look at the pictures, it, 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 some of the shields had, had spikes at the front. And as this group made the tortoise, they would move forward. And they would move forward. And not only would they protect themselves, but they would take ground as they moved forward. It worked like a scrum in rugby. So not only was the shield of faith defensive, it was offensive. The weapons, the, the, the concept that we see in spiritual warfare, friends, is not that you fight for your own peace and your own happiness. The concept in spiritual warfare we see is that you can be secure as an individual and that you can have a little bit left over for the person next to you. And not just a little bit left over, a lot left over. Five loaves, two fishes, 12 baskets left. God is not in the mathematics of just giving you enough for yourself. And maybe some of us in our spiritual warfare needs to change our prayers and just start praying, Lord, don't just provide for me, but give me more that I can provide for the people next to me, Lord. That is the heart of someone who understands the heart of the Father. So we had the shield of faith. We have the breastplate of righteousness. And as Jim LaFoon teaches us, he said that, that sh the, the breastplate had two layers. The first layer, the inside layer that was against your skin, speaks about your personal justification, God's work in making you his son or daughter. It speaks about justification. And the outer layer speaks about sanctification, your works in response to what God did. And I promise you, in spiritual warfare, you need both. You need discipline. You need to get into your word. You need to get on your knees and pray and find God. I cannot find life in your relationship with God for you. But I can tell you there's life in a relationship with God. There's something that you can do. And the enemy will attack your personal disciplines, your part of the breastplate of righteousness. But I promise you, if that arrow from the enemy comes and it pierces your discipline, it pierces your role in the breastplate of righteousness, your role in living a righteous life, it's going gonna, it's gonna to encounter some spiritual Kevlar that no weapon can get through. And that is what the Holy Spirit of God does. He gives us power. And He protects our hearts. And he, and he not only protects our hearts, but He fills us up with a holy anger that says, Okay, you've given me one shot. I'm going to give you at least five now. That's the kind of mathematics I like. You give me one and I give you five. But again, the breastplate of righteousness is more a defensive armor. And do you understand the breastplate of righteousness? Do you understand what Jesus did for you? Do you understand chapter 2 in the one-to-one? -one? Friends, there's such purpose in this little tool that we call it. It's a little booklet. 
But if you understand the concepts that God gives us in that, there's a chapter on righteousness. If you understand that, you will be strong and you will be able to overcome in the spiritual warfare that we are in. The shoes, again, I will credit Almiro on this. He said that there was little, it was almost like, like, like rugby togs. It had little knobblies at the bottom to give you traction. So when you are in the battle and you have locked your shields and you're moving forward because of those little, uh, those little studs that's in your shoes, they were able not just to hold their ground, but as they fought, they were able to move forward. They pushed forward, pushed forward. So the shoes that this passage speaks about is not just something to keep you, to keep you uh, stationary, it's something to keep you going. So it is an offensive weapon. And then it speaks about the sword of the spirit. And we know that those swords were sharp and pointy. Alright, the point was to kill the enemy. And the sharp, the sharp pieces was, if there was some shrapnel or something that stuck in your flesh, you could actually just do a quick operation on the guy next to you. And say, let me help you cut that thing out. Alright, so the point was used as offensive and the sharpness was used as defensive for healing. As we spoke about spiritual warfare, one of the things that came up is that when you are hurt, it does not mean that you're leaving the battle. Friends, too often we speak to believers and they say, when my life is sorted out, I will get involved with the church. When my life is whole, I will start helping those who need help because currently I need help. If you are in a lifeboat and your arm is broken and someone is drowning that side, what is the focus? Is saving the life and your arm will be healed later. Friends, in this spiritual warfare, do not wait to be perfect before you take your place in the lines that God called you to take your place in. Be in your connect group. Lock shields with the men and the women that God places next to you. Lock yourself into spiritual family and see what God does. Because I promise you, when you are facing spiritual warfare, you don't only need your relationship with God. You need spiritual family. The way spiritual family operates. Spiritual family is not just for your own security and for your own peace. So that you can be significant. Husbands, when you overcome in spiritual warfare, your family will overcome in spiritual warfare. Single people, not just your family, and I'm not just talking about we must protect our families, but I'm, I'm talking about our neighbors. I am so aware that as we spend time with people who know Jesus, that there's enough that God places in us, that we have enough spiritual power to share it with them. Look at Paul, excuse me, Peter and John, as they went to the temple, they encountered the lame man. They had enough for themselves and they had enough for the lame man. And because of their faith, that man walked. Because of the four friends that carried their friend to Jesus, that man received his healing. That is victory. So spiritual warfare is not a selfish, uh, a selfish concept that God deposits in the Bible that says, okay, I want to keep you happy and I want to keep you comfortable. The concept of spiritual 
warfare is that we can overcome for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of others. Because the church has always been called to be pastoral and apostolic. When the church stops going, it loses its purpose. Battle for your friends who doesn't know Jesus. Go into spiritual warfare for them. Go into spiritual warfare for your own freedom. But go into spiritual warfare not just for yourself, but for those next to you. Friends, we have experienced encounters spiritually. And I've asked Alicia to share her testimony on what she's experienced pertaining to spiritual warfare about a crucial time in her life where her and Vic were facing some serious challenges. And I think you're going to learn so much as she comes forward to share this testimony. So Alicia, would you come and just share it with us? So about five years ago, um, just about a week after Zari was born, I experienced some medical complications and I was admitted in hospital. And as soon as I arrived there, I started experiencing just this oppression in the hospital. And I think it's just because there's so many uh, heart, heartaches and death um, experience there that there is this spiritual um, oppression there. And um, as I was in this room, they gave me my own private room and family could come and go. I started experiencing fear in my heart and I, I felt the enemy's presence one night in the room and I was so filled with fear that it crippled me. I was so afraid to close my eyes because he kept telling me if I closed my eyes, I would die. And I tried, I was so tired, but I tried keeping my eyes open because I, in a sense, um, took that fear and felt that if I was going to close my eyes, I was going to die. And God just started speaking to me and saying that I was still in control that I didn't have to be afraid, that I could go to sleep and he was in control. The next morning we were still waiting for some blood to arrive and I started feeling some relief already. But it was only the day after that the enemy's voice started intensifying and I could feel his voice so clear that it still crippled me. And I felt so afraid and I didn't know what to do with it that I actually pressed my emergency button next to the bed to call the head nurse. And I told her, please pray for me. I don't know what to do. I feel so overwhelmed. And she just said, read your Bible, read your Bible, spend time with God. And as I started spending time with God, his voice became so clear. And he started showing me and telling me that I needed to start listening to his voice, start learning what his voice sounded like compared to the enemies. And that day he, he revealed a few things to me, but he just showed me that his voice sounded so different than the enemies. And I didn't know at that time that he was preparing me for an experience I would have two days later. So that day they released me and everything seemed fine. But two days later, I woke up one morning and we, we knew that we had to go to hospital. Um, I started bleeding and everything was just um, so scary knowing that uh, my life was basically um, in jeopardy. And as, I, as we were driving in the car, I have to admit, it was five o'clock in the morning that everything started. But by six, as we got in the car and um, phoned the hospital, they said we had to come right away. I just experienced God saying that the war has begun and that I needed to phone my current spiritual family. And I phoned her six o'clock in the morning and felt guilty that I was phoning her that early. But I told her that, please, you have to start telling people to pray. I really sense God saying how important it is. And as we were driving, to, to the hospital, I knew that the war had begun and I knew that I had to pray as well, but I didn't have any fear. That day, I didn't even hear the enemy's voice. It was only God's voice. And just as he mentioned earlier, that I needed to start hearing his voice and recognize his voice. So as this day was going on and I was 
6 o'clock in the morning, started losing blood and admitted in hospital. We had to wait for my gynecologist to operate on me. But 6 o'clock, everything started and I, I was in and out of consciousness and my, all my vitals would go up and down and I didn't receive any blood during that time. Only at 4 o'clock in that afternoon, my gynecologist was available to operate. But it's amazing how in that time when, when everything went up and down and all my vital signs were up and down and everybody knows that I'm so pale that it's difficult to imagine being paler. But they said that you weren't even able to see the color of my lips. And how Jesus in that time showed me that he would give me a red cloak, a cloak uh, of his blood to sustain me until blood arrived to help me and to be able to operate on me. And that evening, as, as they operated on me, God just kept telling me that he's holding me. And in Afrikaans, you, you, we have a word that's called poplap. And he just said, I'm holding you, poplap. I'm holding you tightly. And I wasn't afraid. I knew that he was with me and he was holding me and that he loved me. Sorry, I'm getting so emotional. But it's just, I think we need to realize that God is in control and that even if we're afraid, he's the one that, that, that remains victorious. And it took me four years to realize that even though at the end I had to have a hysterectomy, it saved my life. And I always felt like the hysterectomy was a sign that the enemy was victorious. And God showed me that he wanted to take my life. So that makes him victorious. That makes God victorious because he saved my life. And it's just a byproduct of the war. Even though it is sad and it is traumatic, um, I know that it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, <laughs> it's just a byproduct and that I have a beautiful daughter and I have a loving husband and, and a God that loves me and that has a purpose for my life. Alicia, thank you so much for that testimony. I can personally share testimonies with you about experiencing demonic attack. Linda and me in Europe, I, we don't have time for that now, but friends, the battle is real. And God is calling us to overcome, not just for the sake of our personal security and our personal wholeness, but for the sake of those who would come behind us and after us. Was it not for men and women that was willing to give up their lives for the gospel, we would not be able to be believers today. Was it not for people who at certain times in history protected the written word of the, of the, of the Bible with their lives that enables us to have access to the written word today? Your warfare will only make sense when you view it from the eternal into the temporal. Let us not live lives where we are unaware of the spiritual authority that God has given us. And let us not abuse spiritual authority and the ability to overcome spiritual warfare for selfish gain. Do not treat God as a consumer. You treat God as someone that you worship and you give yourself to him. And he will give you the riches of heaven. And not necessarily the comforts of heaven. Because heaven is going to be long. We're going to be there eternally. And you will be comforted for all of eternity. So if you are uncomfortable in this moment. Stay faithful. Stay in the, the battle. So what is God saying to us as every nation in Bombela? As, as members of this church. God destined you to bear authority. For something greater than just yourself. If you are struggling with this concept of bearing spiritual authority and overcoming spiritual warfare, 
I want to ask you, will you wrestle with your relationship with God? If there's any uncertainties about who you are in Christ, about your personal identity as a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ, you need to wrestle through that and we are willing to help you. If you're you're struggling to understand your purpose that God has given you, your God-given purpose, we can help you. Friends, it is available and God wants to bring you into that. If you know that God is calling you to obedience but you are resisting, be obedient and you will start experiencing the power of God flowing through your life. If you need to be baptized, get baptized. If you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Acts 2 speak about, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't just dismiss it as a concept that is spiritual and not applicable. Get into the tortoise. If you are, if you, you might have come to the church a few times and you're struggling with the concept of spiritual family, you can look at all the devotionals. They are available online. But get into the tortoise. If you are fighting your battle alone, then the devil has you exactly where he wants you to be. We've got a victory training coming up. Sign up for the victory training. It'll help you to overcome spiritual battles. We've got a making disciples training coming up. You don't have to sign up for both. You can sign up for one. But friends, the motivation behind this is as God has said to us as believers, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I, the one who has all authority, will be with you to the ends of this age. God is with us and his authority is in us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your grace. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your revelation that you will bring to what was preached today. We commit this word to you, Lord, and I pray that your word will bear fruit in our lives. Lord, that we will not just be a church with a few individuals that understands the authority of the believer and the fact that you've called us to live in victory in spiritual warfare. Father, but that we will be a church where every member knows who they are in you, knows the purpose that you've called them to, and knows what it feels like to have victory over the enemy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, again, I want to just extend the invitation. If you want to learn more about this, if you feel that you're struggling with this, do not walk alone. Draw close and we would love to help you. God bless you.